Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. Once again, we send off my war rig to bring back gasoline from Gastown and bullets from the bullet farm. You know, every time I want to start a sentence with once again, I think of that line from Mad Max Fury Road. Um, there's just something so peculiar about how that, uh, I mean, that script I think is brilliant and the whole movie I think is brilliant, but there's just something so peculiar about some of the dialogue in it. Anyway, once again, I have for you a moving the needle interview with a vertically focused firm. This time I spoke with Evan McBroom of Fishhook, which is a communications agency focused on the vertical of churches. And once again, there's this segment where you would think if we pulled that out of context, you were listening to, you would think you were listening to a management consultant because as Evan is talking about, you know, how his expertise creates value and how what he has learned from, I think it was something like 15 years working in the vertical that a generalist would not know, what he knows looks a lot like the kind of stuff you might hear a management consultant talking about. I am not at all saying that that's the secret to delivering outsized value to your clients. I'm not at all saying that's the trick to anything. But it certainly is an interesting pattern, especially given that the interview I published earlier this week had the same characteristic. Now, that's not all there is to it. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation that I had with Evan. So here goes. Evan McBroom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Philip. Evan, who are you and what do you do? I'm Evan McBroom. I'm 53 years old, and I uh, am the founder of a small communications agency in Indianapolis, Indiana, called Fishhook. You guys are vertically focused on, would you call it the vertical of churches, or is it, how would you define it? Yeah, we would say churches or um, faith-based nonprofits, but 85% of the work uh, is with individual churches uh, all across the country. Okay. So how did you end up with that specialization? Yeah. So I worked for 14 years for another communications agency. And um, at our heart, we were a a big video house that through the 90s grew into a full service communications agency. Mm -hmm. And I worked my way up to the general manager there. And and then, you know, just for your listeners, depending on their, whether they're a person of faith, of deep faith or not, this will either resonate or it'll be kind of a head scratcher, but that's okay. So for me, this was a, like a call to ministry. So if you hear somebody say, yeah, they, you know, so-and-so got called to become a priest or called to go to Ethiopia and serve the poor. So for me, this was a spiritual matter of, of feeling like, um, like I was being called by God to leave my career and go do something. Okay. And that calling really, it, you know, it's not like this, the clouds part. It's a restlessness that you realize I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think there's some other purpose in my life. And so I actually quit that job, um, which is not how I recommend people do it. But I quit that job <laughs> thinking I was either going to go to seminary to become uh, a minister, a pastor, uh-huh. uh, or or lead a faith-based not-for-profit or work in a church in communications. Okay. 
And, um, and what I discovered is I didn't need to go get prepared at seminary. I had this background in, in corporate communications, and I discovered that churches, organizations that mean a lot to me, um, needed the same kind of help, maybe even more so, because many of them were behind the times in how they communicate. Can you get more specific about how you discovered the need in that vertical? Uh, sure. Yeah. So my wife and I, we, we had about six months of liquid savings. Okay. Um, as I say, for God to speak, like, please, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> that was your runway so, for, for God to give you some kind of plan. <laughs> r- right. I just had six months of liquid savings. And so I just went about the business of meeting with anybody and everybody I could meet with. And I would tell them my story. I'm this guy. I have this background. I feel like I'm supposed to go do something with this. And, um, you know, and some people would point me towards, you know, a missions agency that, you know, uh, did some good work in some other part of the world. And, and then other people would point me to a church job or, but eventually I had someone who knew a lot of what's going on in churches all across America. So they had, they had deep market knowledge and they worked for a big not for profit that served churches. And this was the most fascinating conversation. He, he said, Evan, uh, I want you to describe your best day ever, mm-hmm. hypothetical. Mm-hmm. And so I described that day. I described how I would do business development activities and I would come back and move and motivate the team um, around the work that we had to do. And I might, you know, buy lunch for some clients and hear their challenges, pitch some work. Um, the clients would say yes. And I said, in the end, what we're doing is we're listening to hear what's a client's challenge they may not even see it as a communications challenge, just a challenge. And these were big corporate clients, mm-hmm. big pharmaceutical companies, big restaurant chains. So they describe a problem. And from my lens or looking through the lens of my experience in communications, I might be able to say to them, hey, if we did this or that together, we might be able to help you overcome that challenge. And they'd start nodding their head and then we'd get the work mm-hmm. and we'd help advance the mission of that company. And this guy that had this deep knowledge of what's going on in churches, he just looked at me and he said, Evan, the local churches, they need that. That's Mm -hmm. what they need. Mm -hmm. And so really somebody who understood the market and took time to listen to to my heart. And I took the time to meet. I mean, I was meeting with, you know, two or three people a day. If somebody said, Hey, I think you ought to talk to so-and-so I'd call them anyway. Yeah. It was through that kind of exploration um, that really uh, Fishhook was born. Interesting. Okay, so in a sense, you were you were starting from a cold start, but in another sense, not really, because you had this. It sounds to me like you had this really substantial body of experience in um, the sort of technical skills that you would bring to bear. You yes. had a, a, a very meaningful personal connection to the market that you were moving Mm -hmm. into. So, you know, starting from that point, how long did it take to kind of get momentum with Fishhook? And so that's the part that if you're a person of faith, you look at this and you say, wow, somebody was on your side. So literally I um, kind of committed. And, and again, I know that for some people, this is just like foreign language, but this is just my experience. I, I committed this thing to prayer and said, you know, God, if you're in this, I'm in this, let's go. And um, the next day, 
my phone rang and it was a writer for the Indianapolis star, the business writer. Uh And she was doing a story about people who'd made big midlife career changes. Uh And she caught wind of my story. And she said, what are you going to do? She she actually said, Evan, I heard you freaked out, quit your great job and you're going to become a pastor. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) So, so for context, you said you're yes. fifty, what, fifty three now? Fifty three. Yeah, yeah. So I, how, was in my late, I was late. I was thirty eight. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah, thirty eight. I mean, just the beginning of midlife there. <laughs> and just for context, also, I mean, we had the vacation home. I had the really nice company car. We had the big house in the suburbs. You know, all the stuff going. Uh-huh. Um, um, so where was I? Oh, oh you were saying this reporter contacted you? Yeah, to get momentum. So this reporter calls and, and she interviews me and I tell her the story. And literally, I tell her, like, last night I decided this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work with churches and help them communicate in more current methods. And she said, what's the name of the company? And I said, I don't have one yet. And she said, well, you need it tomorrow by noon because that's the deadline for my story. <laughs> so Fishhook as a name was born the next morning. Yeah. And literally, my first client came from someone who went to a church and uh, in that newspaper area uh, up in Lafayette, Indiana, about uh, an hour north. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody in that church read that story. They made a connection to some of the struggles they were having. And and that first call came within a couple of days. And so I got started in kind of, you know, just an incredibly encouraging way very soon. In terms of momentum, I did some small business generalist work, um, not with any of my former clients, but just you know, people in the community who knew me, knew I had a background. I was working with some small businesses as well for probably the first two years while I was also working on doing more and more church work. Okay. And then there came a time where we got to really specialize. Gotcha. So roughly a, a two-year uh, ramp, yeah, two ramp up. Ramp. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were paying our bills um, pretty quickly. Right, right. Um, though digging a little bit of a, a little bit of a hole. <laughs> But anyway, we, we it got going um, sooner than than I anticipated. That's great. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I mean a sort of two-year ramp up to where you're saying, you know, we really just do this one thing. That right. sounds about like what you're explaining. Yeah. So and, oh, okay. go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say there was a great moment in that decision. Uh, when that decision came of are we really going to specialize? Um, and I was I was about to redo our website. I mean, myself, like I didn't have yeah. a lot of help then. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm slugging away at this thing in front page, which is like an ancient, like Microsoft. Oh, you're really dating, dating yourself. Yes, Evan. I am. <laughs> but I just want people to get a picture of where that was. Yeah. So I was about to redo the website and there were going to be two doors on the homepage, a door that looked like a church, like a big Gothic door. Yeah. And then a small business door. Okay. And depending on which client you were, you were going to click on that door and then you know, navigationally, you'd go take a look at that work. Right. I had a buddy who advises businesses. And I said, Hey, what do you think of this? And he said, Evan, how many general marketing agencies are there in central Indiana? And I said, Oh my gosh, if you count everybody working out of their bedroom, a uh, hundred, <laughs> right. Maybe. And he said, how many church communication companies are there in the country? And I said, I know of like six. So let's say there's 20. And he said, would you rather be one of 100 in your town or one of 20 in the country? And that was really the point at which, you know, we felt like we had enough work that we could kind of step out in faith again. And so it was it was all church focused from then on. That's very interesting to me because a lot of people sort of struggle with that that decision internally 
And then the changing the website is kind of the, the last gasp of that struggle. It's, it's their sort of, okay, okay, I'll admit publicly that, you know, I'm crazy enough to narrow down my market that much. Right. But what's interesting in your case is it's almost not quite reverse, but still that, that website change happened earlier, a bit earlier in the process. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So it's um, a fun moment. So now when your services mm-hmm. really move the needle for a client, what does that look mm-hmm. like in the client's world? Like what yeah. things change as a result of them hiring you? And it may not be right away. Maybe you create more long-term change, but you know, what kind yeah. of stuff changes? I think it, it tends to focus around the word growth and momentum. Um, and so sometimes it's growth like numerical growth. And there's lots of reasons why churches want to grow. Primarily it's to further the mission of, of more people coming into relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, so sometimes it's numerical growth. And so that may look like better branding and uh, branding and identity to be able to be, you know, cut through the communication clutter and represent themselves better. It may be um, building websites to improve the, um, uh, the way people connect with them online. So it may be numerical growth. Um, sometimes it may be financial growth. They may want to do a facility project, or they may want to build an orphanage, you know, in Africa or something. And so they need communication assistance around those areas. It may be spiritual growth. There are actually some assessment tools used within the North American church um, that church leaders can have their people take. And it will gauge um, in essence, the spiritual depth or practices of those people. Mm -hmm. And so it may be um, spiritual growth. By and large, our clients, after they've worked with us for a year, what they'll say is, wow, working with you guys, we really started to feel some momentum around here. And I kind of relate it to, um, well, it's not football season right now, but if we were watching football, you know, there's this, there's the statistics um, that anybody could point to to track the game. But there's usually some point in the game where they say, man, you know, the momentum shifted for Ohio State in the third quarter. Right. And everybody knows exactly what they mean. They could just feel it. And right. so our clients tend to, they're looking for organizational momentum to advance the mission so that people will get more engaged and excited and, and take part in the activities of the church more. And that's what moving the needle looks like for us. That's great. When you're speaking with a prospective client, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to guess that you're not like a high pressure salesperson. Actually, <laughs> no. actually, let me ask you, Evan. Do you handle the sales for Fishhook, or know, is that I, somebody? Else? I did for I did for many years. So okay. we're 15 years old right now. Um, I did for about the first 10. I was primarily business development, yep. and then five years ago, um, someone joined our team. Um, Shayla Kenworthy. She's um, a mom in her mid 30s, mm-hmm. and um, she started to show a real um, strength in that area. And she is also super low pressure. I mean, everybody, I mean, you like to think everybody in business wants the best for their clients. I mean, at a very deep level, we do uh, as well. We want the very best. And so we'll even say to them, it's our hope that it'll just be super obvious if we're to work together. And if you don't feel it, we don't feel it. We don't feel like God's in it. Then, then we're just going to cheer each other on. That'll be okay. Um, So, so, as I did business development, it was more face-to-face. We've jo- grown geographically, and mm-hmm. Shayla does a great job, really, uh, long, more long-distance, um, right. phone, Zoom, Skype, all that stuff. And, um, uh, and and she's led the way the last 
few years. So you have this very sort of clear vision of what moving the needle looks like for your clients. How do you communicate something like that that maybe is a little – What's the word I'm looking for? A little squishy, a little hard to it's totally squishy. How, how do you communicate that in a sales uh, setting? Yeah, I mean, here's the good thing. A lot of church folks are kind of squishy, too, in terms of that. Like, they, um, and I don't mean there aren't data-driven folks, and I'll tell a story about that in a moment, but they're okay with these kind of sometimes soft metrics. Mm-hmm. They also want a return on investment. They're people who have trusted them with their tithes, their offerings, their finances. So they want good things. But in general, we speak a common language. And and they'll say, now, they may describe themselves as somewhere on a growth curve. Uh And so um, if this was video, you'd see me making motions with my hands of, you know, lines going up and to the right or down to the left, what have you. So they're typically, they're typically either a church um, that has been in decline Uh Um, maybe they've lost membership. Um, they're not as involved as they used to be, but maybe some new leaders have come in and they've said, Hey, we want to reverse this trend. And so we'll kind of catch them at the bottom of a dip. Um, there are other times where maybe they've been an organization that has experienced a lot of success. They've grown, they've had greater impact in their community. They serve often. Um, but maybe they've, they're feeling they're coming off of that a little bit. They've, they've kind of off the top of the roller coaster and they want to catch, you know, they want to catch some new momentum. So we'll speak a similar language around that where it gets the most difficult is churches tend to unif- uh, universally count only a few things similarly. Um, uh, butts, bucks, and buildings is what they say. So um, <laughs> how many people are there on a weekend? Uh-huh. So that might be membership attendance, membership or attendance. Right. Um, uh, bucks is the finances and then buildings. How big is their building? Mm-hmm. How big is their space? And mm-hmm. and um, that's probably not unlike a lot of uh, organizations. Sure. So, um, but there will be times when, and especially if it's maybe the, uh, in a church, there's often, paid staff, and then there are volunteer leaders, elders, kind of overseers of the church. Sometimes those elders will have a pretty strong business background, Um, or they may be in a rural setting. They may be a farmer with a sharp business acumen. Mm -hmm. And so I've had guys in John Deere hats who, you know, may own hundreds of acres and they serve their church and they'll, they'll say, Hey, what can we expect if we work with you? And I'll start to talk about squishy things like Uh momentum and, and they'll say, no, 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 no. I want to know, are we going to grow? Are we going to, you know, see these things? Right. And a real challenge is um, measurement is expensive. Okay. And so we, it, it's oftentimes a big enough challenge for our clients to afford working with us, let alone, um, are they going to measure new things in new ways? Mm-hmm. And so we can't always tag, um, uh, we don't always have the data from our clients. Right. The other difficult thing is when they're working with us, they're working usually in tandem on several other projects. They may be updating their buildings. They may be adding their staff. They may be, you know, an organization that wants to improve usually doesn't do just one thing. Right. And so uh, we have to be careful. What do we claim the success? Um, What of this, if they've, I mean, we do have, I mean, we have churches who change their name from something that sounded maybe was known in the community as being off-putting or closed off or mm-hmm. lots of rules. And this is now a, a much more open, um, 
uh, open and welcoming church. And they changed their name as maybe a last sign to say, hey, to the community, we're a new place. Right. They may double in attendance in a year. Oh, wow. But we have to be careful. Do we claim all of that as Fishhook's result or not? Yeah. Yeah. That because they're doing other things. Right. So, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So <laughs> how did this specialization, this current specialization contribute to you and your team cultivating expertise? It, so it just, it sounds to me like there was plenty, you know, plenty of expertise that you kind of brought into this mm-hmm. because, you know, there's a personal connection and mm-hmm. a personal history. It wasn't like you started from scratch and just know, through a dart, a dartboard and pick right. churches. Right. But there's probably been new expertise that you've gained along this 15 year or whatever journey. Like what does that expertise look like? Yeah. Yeah. I had loads of communication expertise. I, I had never worked in a church. I had attended one and I had volunteered at them, um, but I had never worked on staff at one. So I had plenty to learn. So right away um, I called a friend I knew who worked in a church um, in the communication function. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey, when do you and your peers all meet? Surely you meet you and you know, every industry has a trade group. Surely right. you have one. Right. And she said, there isn't one. Oh, wow. um, and she said, you could do that. You're locally. <laughs> she right. said, I know a couple people who do this. And I said, well, I know you and one other. So literally we, within two months of starting, we started uh, a, a small group, a gathering. We met monthly called uh-huh. the communication directors roundtable. Huh. And at our first meeting, we had four. And then our next meeting, we had eight. And we grew. This Some months, we'd have 30 people. The biggest one we had was 100. Um, and this continues now quarterly. And those communication directors gather in a room. Um, Fishhook facilitates a discussion or a topic. Um, but primarily, especially in the early days, I was just a fly on the wall. I just wanted to learn from them. Um, and this was really a key to them showing up and speaking. I never followed up on any business opportunity I, I heard any of them speak about. Oh, interesting. So if someone said, oh, we're thinking about redoing our website. If they said it in that setting, I did not follow up with them. Oh, well, so you sort of created this uh, maybe sacred space where it just yes. was not – you really, you know, watch your talk. This is not a business development play here. Right, right. And and they would, it built trust and they felt safe. Now, many times those people might follow up with me in a month or two and they'd mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, we're thinking about reading the website. Oh, really? Um, and <laughs> so, yeah. so I would say we listened uh, a lot. And I think that's the posture we still, um, you know, we're going to, no matter how sophisticated or unsophisticated a church is in terms of how they communicate, we'll still learn something new when we work with a new organization. Sure. Right. And so we'll, we'll cross pollinate that to, to other clients. So it's, it's just a posture of learning. I think. Have you ever read Michael Port's book on, um, shoot, I'm blanking out on the title of it. I yeah. haven't, um, <laughs> whatever it is. I don't think so. Unless I'm forgetting. Author, it's, it's, uh, tell, me, tell me about the premise. Yeah. Right. Uh, let me see here. Um, oh, his thing is public speaking. Well, while you're now. looking for that, I'll share with you. I oh, usually only finish half of a book anyway. I think that's a really good quality, uh, knowing when to quit. <laughs> so yeah. the book is called Book Yourself Solid. And one of his pieces of advice there is always have something to invite people to. Mm. And I'm reminded of that as you talk about 
this you created this space that was completely not a business thing. And what's interesting to me, you know, I work with a lot of people who they would hear that idea and say, well, that sounds great. Yeah, I could see myself doing that. But then they think about where you were at the beginning and they say no way because they wouldn't want to endure that discomfort of they're the organizer who's also the dumbest guy in the room, (laughs) (laughs) which you temporarily were, right? This was a a venue for you to learn, it sounds like. I was, but I did have expertise in corporate communications that was maybe years ahead of where these folks were in some uh-huh. ways. Right. And so probably one of my personal kind of focus or specialties is just paying attention to what's going on in the general communications marketplace that we can apply to the church. Um, and so I think I was doing that early. So I wasn't telling them, oh, here's what you ought to do about your church communications, mm-hmm. but it's hey, have you paid attention to what Southwest Airlines has been doing with blah, blah, blah? Or, you know, um, boy, if you look at how Disney welcomes their guests. Right. So you, you were able you to be a resource. Your guests? Right. Okay. So you were able to be a resource that way. Yes, but I was still pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but you were, you're getting up to speed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the particulars of what the world is, you know, what your client's world was like. Correct. Okay. Correct. And then, then I could apply those those learnings in my other appointments, in my, you know, as I met with another church leader, I'd be able to say, hey, I heard about this thing, and I'd learned it in that, in that space. Yeah. So I heard you loud and clear when you said you're, you're always still learning new things, but if you kind of graphed out the, um, the accumulation of expertise about the world of churches, what would that look like? Was it a, you know, a two-year learning curve, a five-year learning curve? Was it real fast? Wow. I mean, I guess, I mean, sometimes in those early appointments, a little bit of knowledge buys you a lot of trust. Right. So you don't have to know everything they don't know. You just have to know some things they mm-hmm. don't know. Right. And and so I would say um, there were probably learning, you know, certain learning curves. And a lot of the learning curve would be about when we started to try something new. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't do everything from day one that we do now. Okay. And so I think the learning curve happened as we met certain clients who would trust us to innovate with them. And, um, and they might say, Hey, we're thinking about this new challenge or this thing. Could you guys help us with that? Okay. You trust us to go learn and help you with this. Now we got to learn. Like, so I guess it's, it's kind of continual, although I'm not like a classic book learner. Uh-huh. Um, it's more like observational right. and experiential. Um, so I would say after probably three years, four years in a business development setting, I could pretty easily predict their pain and had enough experience to say, wow, if you're this size church staffed this way, doing these things, I bet you're hitting these ceilings or I bet you're feeling this pain. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to guess it was probably four years or so until we hit that stride. Oh, um, that's great. Yeah. You pointed out something I want to reiterate for the folks at home, which yeah. is that you're not, you said, you said, John, I'm not a book learner. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's a pattern that's common to people like you who are vertically specialized, mm. but I guess what I want to point out for the folks at home is that there may not be a book that you can learn from as a vertically focused specialist, or you might be the person who's really 
in a position to write that book three, five, seven years mm. down the road. So I, I don't see that as a negative at all. In fact, I think that's how a lot of us kind of, you know, practical, quote, real, real world experts, meaning outside the world of academia. Right. That's how a lot of us develop our expertise is just on the job learning. I, I think so. And I think it, I just have to be true to who I am and how I'm wired. And, um, you know, I used to have a lot of, oh, when you talk about writing a book, I used to have a lot of just kind of self, um, self-doubt mm-hmm. um, because other people had written books, some of them even in our space. And, you know, they get to speak as a keynoter at the big conference and right. I'm leading a workshop down the hall. And <laughs> right. I think you just have to, I think you just have, I just came to the realization, I just have to be true to who I am. And, um, you know, I learn a lot from book titles. One that, I mean, one that comes to mind is um, I just looked it up online. Uh, Never eat lunch alone. It's called, it's a networking book. Right. I don't, I mean, I'm sure it's a wonderful book, but when I saw the title, I'm like, I'm doing that. (laughs) So anyway, um, you know, I I think you're right. There aren't, there there is not necessarily, um, there is no specific book on our niche. There are some writers who have, who serve the church industry, but not uh, from a communication standpoint, but yeah. not the, those of us who serve the church. There's no book for us. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, let's kind of put you side by side in a thought experiment with okay. a generalist communications agency. Okay. So they are like, you know, you were in that previous business where it's a sort mm-hmm. of take all comers thing. Yep. And you're, you know, um, you're sort of head, head to head, side by side. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like I'm imagining that I guess the dating game where there's like that in you know that divider. Right. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that's the number one. So you're having you know the um, a sales conversation with a church. What do you know that they don't? Yeah. Or what kind of stuff? You don't have to you know list sure. everything, but what kind of things yeah. do you know that they don't? So here here are a few of them. First of all, we may have some deeply shared values with this with this client that they don't. Now they okay. might, they might, they might be a generalist in an agency and they're very involved in their church and uh-huh. they, so they may have that, but oftentimes they don't, at least not as a team. Right. We have an entire team of that. Right. So deeply shared values. I think um, uh, organizational leadership knowledge, we know how these organizations run. And now they're not all exactly the same, but there's a number of models mm-hmm. and, and they're different from one another. Um, and, and so, you know, I think about the, like the pharmaceutical industry, you know, there's certain things because they're regulated by the FDA, there's things about how they're structured, there's job titles and, you know, well, the same thing within a church, you know, there's, there's a relationship between the pastoral staff and those overseeing volunteers or elders. So there's organizational kind of how are decisions made again, not all exactly the same, but probably five or six basic models. So we kind of know how's this project going to get approved? Who are the, who are the different stakeholders within the church um, that we need to communicate with? If it's a big change that's going to happen, you can't just spring that on everybody all at once. And so you need to connect with different layers of people, depending on how organ, how deeply involved they are in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a, there's for sure a seasonality to the church calendar, the same way that there would be a seasonality to retail. And so, um, for instance, we just know that for the month of December, as churches lead up to Christmas, 
they're so busy getting ready to celebrate Christmas. They kind of don't have the capacity to manage projects or make other decisions. Similar around Easter in the summer, it's a different season. And then there's just a lot of things that I'll put into a bucket that I would call buyer behavior. Uh Um, You know, the, the process that someone goes through from not being involved in a church to the, the process of them maybe being invited by a friend, um, that friend nurturing that relationship, them feeling um, spiritually moved in some way, and then the next steps that they would want to take in their spiritual development, whether it's joining a Sunday school class or getting their kids involved or um, serving in the inner city in a soup kitchen. You know, we just, we know these things that are about, I guess I would say buyer behavior. Um, right. And and that's just the stuff that that um, a normal agency they may have communication strategy nailed, and they may, you know, um, they may be toe to toe with us on all that, or maybe even excel in ways beyond us. Mm-hmm. But that deep knowledge of the organizational, the dynamics, um, we're going to be able to, I think, advance that that conversation and that client yeah, pretty far by comparison. Like I would agree. Uh, do I get the date? <laughs> <laughs> you do. So now yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. we're moving into, uh, you know, you have the project, you're executing yep. on it. And of course, we're still comparing you against a sort of generalist agency. So in that yeah. context of execution or delivery, mm-hmm. what do you know that the generalist agency probably is going to have to learn the hard way or learn on mm-hmm. the job? Yep. Um, we, we probably know how... Um, the people of the church will respond to various changes that we make. Um, oh, interesting. Um, and again, changing the name of a church is a thing that happens from time to time for good organizational reasons. Um, not everybody may like that. Um, there will be people who may or may not respond well to different communication techniques that are taken because they, sometimes people within a church don't feel like there's always a congruency between like sophisticated communications and the church. Right. So there, there may be conversations we have to have with disgruntled leaders um, who don't quite of maybe are not quite on board yet with the project. Mm -hmm. And then I think we just know a lot about um, maybe even the, the structure of what happens on a Sunday morning in a church. Um, So we're going to be able to help that client plan, maybe the unveiling of a new logo or, um, the unveiling of a new ministry effort, or they're going to, you know, they, they may take over a, a, a struggling church in another part of town and help them out. And we can, um, we can communicate that well to the surrounding community. Um, uh, it's, it, <laughs> when I think back to the times in my other work where I had to pretend that I was an expert in something and, um, <laughs> And just this queasy feeling in your stomach that, man, I, I'm having to say these things because I have to have this work because we have a lot of overhead. Right. And to now be able to say, man, we've built a business that is of modest size and modest needs. And um, if, if we don't get this work, it's okay. But if we do get this work, we're really going to be able to help here. It, it's I don't know. There's a piece in my soul about it. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I think that's I was, a little bit off of your question, but that's that's what comes to mind when I think about our ability to help deeply. 
That's huge. Uh, compared uh, to a generalist. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you, if you didn't mind me asking you, if you yeah. sleep better at night now. <laughs> I, I do. I do. <laughs> I had this one corporate client that, man, you just knew he was like, he was like the Achilles heel finder. Like no matter, like whatever you knew the weakness was, the chink in your armor, he was going to ask about it in front of you. Uh, and we just, I don't experience that now. So yeah, I do sleep better. So in, in your work, what does the strategy component look like versus just the execution component? Yeah. Um, strategy is probably 75% of what we do. Okay. Even when we're doing execution. Okay. We get a lot of incoming leads, um, whether it's through the website or a phone call with people asking about a, ta a tactical need. Okay. And much of the time it's a website. We do a lot of great websites. Sure. Um, and, and many times at the bottom is our name. Uh, and so they, they may see a number of churches. Wow. Fisher keeps showing up. They, Let's call them. So they reach out for a tactical need. What we want to find out quickly is, do they have a communication strategy or not? Um, if, I mean, in about 10 minutes of phone call, we can find out they don't, you know, they don't have a strategy. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have a strategy, we want to engage them in a strategic effort first and then help them do their website or help them do that tactical thing. We want to help them develop a plan. We want to do some assessment and figure out how their communication practices and staffing and processes are in place. Um, if they're not willing to do the strategic work, we're going to send them to some other people mm -hmm. to do the tactical work. Yeah, I figured that wouldn't happen 100% of the time. But when, when you are able to sort of um, help them see the value in starting mm -hmm. with strategy – is it through the kind of questions you ask or do you just sort of bluntly say, well, we don't work that way. And here's your, like, how, how does that transition happen where they, um, they approach you for a website and they end up saying, yes, yeah. let's do the strategy thing. You usually say, well, Hey, uh, yeah, before we talk deeply about the website, let me, um, how, how's your weekly communication decisions made? Um, like, is it a centralized effort? Is there one person leading that effort and are there good decisions being made? Um, week in and week out that connect the messaging to the overall strategy of the church. And they'll go, uh, no, <laughs> usually we just tell people to send their stuff to Margaret in the front office Thursday by noon and we'll pull it in the, put it in the bullet. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, and they'll feel a self conviction about that. Well, uh -huh. so three or four questions, um, you know, is your website current and up to date or is there any old information on it? And they'll go, uh, no. Well, that says, <laughs> That says they, they don't have a strategy. They don't have, a, they don't have good processes uh -huh. in place to keep that thing current. So I'll tell them, wow, I mean, unless we work on those processes, we're going to make you a beautiful new website, and it'll still be out of date, you know, a month after we make it. And so they'll go, oh, yeah, we, I mean, there's bigger things we need to fix for sure. Mm -hmm. So then we'll talk about this assessment process that we have, which is a fairly low-cost um, investment for them to get a lot of feedback and knowledge. Um, and then it also is a way to kind of date. We can test the relationship yeah. um, with this kind of lower dollar project. And so all that to say, it, it's, it's um, some of them will just completely wash their hands. Now, some, uh, well, wait, some of them wash their hands and say, no, we don't want to do strategy. We just want a website. So we'll refer them elsewhere. Some of them will say, um, we need strategic help. 
Let's talk about that next step. Some of them will have that conversation and we'll find out, man, they're rock stars. They've got all kinds of strategy going already. And really they do just need help with a website. So um, we can ferret that out usually in a half hour call and yeah. they'll lean into, if they lean into that conversation anyway, that's a good sign. That's that's it. okay. So what I hear you saying is you'll sort of ask them if they're following the things that you know are best practices based on your experience and mm-hmm. they'll sort of self-diagnose and if if they feel a sense of like oh or like if they express a desire to fix that that's a right. pretty clear indicator that that's a potential strategy client yeah we, we usually said to be a good strategy client and to do that assessment work um they need to know they need to, to recognize themselves that things could be better and they need to have a coachable spirit if they don't believe there's a problem or they don't want to be coached, then we're not a good match. And right. we're all wasting our, our time and their money. Because you'll probably be butting heads because you want to have that leadership position in the project. Yeah, we do. And we want to see them get better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm assuming, Evan, that the kind of expertise you have sometimes creates these moments where clients are like, really? Or they're sort of surprised with something mm-hmm. that you'll mm-hmm. tell them, maybe about themselves or about how they could be doing things. What do those tend to look like, those kind of mm-hmm. eyebrow-raising moments? Um, one of our ca- company values is pants, um, uh, like a pair of pants. And it stands for big boy and big girl pants. <laughs> and that means that as in our consulting role, um, the men and women are on our team. We need to be able to wear the pants in those consulting conversations. Uh-huh. Um and so there's times where we have to put on those, those pants. Right. I, I guess so. Just the first story that pops to mind is we were working with, um, with some church leaders at a church in Chicago, busy, active church, but understaffed, um, under-resourced. And so what we discovered in our analysis, our assessment was, we'll call her Sharon, Sharon, the communication um, leader. And I would say she wasn't viewed as a strategic um, uh director of communication, she was seen in that setting probably as one of the people in the front office, um, an administrative right. type who, who shepherds, you know, make sure the bulletin's done and the website's updated. Mm. And um, we just realized that she was way overworked. Um, she was working too many hours, boundaries. I mean, you'd like to think this doesn't happen in a church, but it, it, it does. Um, you know, personal boundaries in terms of her work hours and time mm-hmm. away from her family were challenged. Mm. Um and, and what we were doing is advocating for either less work or more help. <laughs> and so we're meeting with a group of the senior leaders and we're, we're unveiling this, you know, we're revealing this um, finding and we're saying, so, you know, really um, Sharon either needs an assistant or um, some additional help, or we need to restructure the amount of work that we're asking her to do um, for her, for her well-being and f- for the benefit of the quality of the work. And the pastor said, oh, you know, we'd love to, but we just, we really can't afford that. And, you know, besides that, Sharon, she's just, she's so great. She never says no. Mm. And that was a very telling moment. Yeah. Um, and and that's a moment where I, I just said, you know, pastor, that's just not healthy. Right. That's not healthy for Sharon. It's not healthy for the team. It's not healthy for her family or for, or, or for your church. And, um, 
there's a there's a phrase in the church that would say truth in love. You have to say truthful things, but you want to say them with love. Right. And so that's the approach. Um, the approach for that. I there's you, another one. You had to really uh, just bring every ounce of kindness that you could to oh, that kindness. to be able to say that, right? But but clear. Uh, Patrick Lincioni talks about um, uh, in um, oh I can't remember which book. Maybe the advantage he talks about. Um, organizations having artificial harmony where they don't really say what's really going on Mm -hmm. to keep the peace. And he said, nonprofits are horrible at that. Mm. And he said, churches are the worst of all where they, they're overly nice, but they're not sometimes clear and to the point. Right. They won't say the hard thing. And so we, we try to to buck that trend. Mm. Um, But then we have, we have other times where the jaw dropping moments are, are much more beautiful <laughs> right. and encouraging than that. You, you want to end with one of those stories? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, working with um, another church uh, in Northern Indiana, um, we had worked with this team on a branding project. And so we had just finished bringing them three or four logo concepts in a first round and taglines for those. And um, there was a woman who was on the team and uh, she was, I think she was a, a young college professor or uh, worked at a college um, and she was volunteering. So she had kind of stepped away from her work that day to be at this meeting. And, and she said, after, after we honed in on two of the marks and one of the taglines, she said, you know, I have to tell you, I was kind of skeptical about this whole thing. Um, when you took us through the discovery day, which was about a three hour meeting, on a Sunday afternoon with a bunch of people from the church, you know, Mm -hmm. she said you had us drawing with crayons and you had us do all these exercises to, you know, get to understand the personality of the church. But I got to tell you, I would just kind of went home and I said, I'm just not sure what they're going to be able to glean from that. And she said, now that I've seen this work, um, she said, my husband and I talk about the thing that, that one of the most beautiful things in a marriage is when you really feel like your spouse deeply knows you. Mm Mm-hmm. And she said, it's obvious from this work that you guys really listened and you deeply know us. Mm. Um, you know, that's a jaw-dropping moment for everybody in the room where you just realize, wow, this, this is really special work we get to do. And, and we've been given many opportunities to do it and refine our processes. And we've got a good team. And, and to deeply know a client is uh, felt like high marks. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm. That's a good place to wrap things up. Evan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share what it's like to be you, to be the kind of expert Mm. you and your your folks are. And I want to ask if if folks are curious uh, where they could reach out to you or find out more, where should they go? Yep. Um, You can find us, uh, of course, on the web at fishhook.us. That's fishhook with two H's, fishhook.us. Or you can find me on all the social media places um, at Evan, E-V-A-N, Mick Broom, M-C-B-R-O-O-M, all one word. And uh, I'll share my life there with you and um, would love to see into anybody else's that wants to be friends there. So, um, But fishhook.us is the f- place to find us organizationally. And come check us out. We, have, we started a, a, a video series last year that's kind of a behind-the-scenes look at our agency. It's called Hooked. We all run around with our iPhones all the time. We show behind the scenes, good, bad, and ugly, road trips, client meetings, difficult days. So if you really want to get to know us, check out Hooked at our website. Thanks, Evan. You bet, Philip. Thank you.